Welcome, everybody, to the Fine Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott, and today we have a good friend of mine, Andy Mann. Uh, Andy, Andy and I have known each other for 20 years, some crazy number like that, and Andy's gone through a lot of different career changes. So, Andy, welcome. Sean's really good to be back with Thanks. you again, mate. So you're now with Kumu. So just a little, I, I want you to talk about your background, because I think you, you can tell you can tell a much better story than I can. But um, when we first met, you were an analyst, and then you moved into the vendor community, and you were in the vendor community for a while, moving across a couple of different platform vendors, and now you've made the transition to the enterprise. So I, I'm really interested in this conversation today because you bring a very unique um, perspective on things, kind of being in three different camps and now all kind of culminating now in actually being a CTO of an enterprise. So uh, you're with Kumu, and uh, you're the chief technology officer. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Super, absolutely. It's my favorite topic. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk about myself all day long. Uh, no, look, I'm a geek for life, right? That's the subtitle of my blog, um, which I haven't actually used for a while, so I won't, I won't pimp that out there. But uh, geek for life, what it means to me is I started out with computers very early in, in high school as an extracurricular activity. It was my choice. I wasn't even part of class. Eventually, ended up going and trying to do a computer science degree and failed because there was not enough computers involved. So I got a job as a trainee in a bank instead running mainframes, big enterprise systems, did that for a long time. Uh, eventually ended up, uh, A, uh, needing to get a degree to get promoted. So I went off and did a BA of all things. So I, this is why you can, why, this is why I can talk, Sean. Um, I did a BA in English and psychology. So I learned about language. I learned about people because I already knew about computers at that point. Um, I was told by one of my vendors at one point, uh, Andy, you ask too many hard questions. How about you come work for us and answer them yourself? So that's how I ended up, you know, after working for, yeah, banks, insurance, logistics, government, that's how I ended up in the vendor world. And then at one point, I think maybe an analyst said, Andy, uh, you're a bit too smart for your own good. Why don't you, why don't you try and do this job better? So I thought, yeah, why not? Uh, <laughs> so I went off and I joined Enterprise Management Associates as an analyst. Um, that was an exciting time. Um, I was doing the data center practice, but that was when data center was starting this notion of transformation through virtualization, cloud, and subsequently DevOps. Um, so that was a very exciting time. And at one point, one of my clients said, Andy, you give us too much of a hard time. Uh, you write too much stuff about other people. Why don't you come and join us and work for us? So I joined CA at that point, ended up at Splunk for about six years as essentially a divisional CTO where I was building up their DevOps, their DevOps practice and using data to understand IT operations and infrastructure management. Um, and subsequently, I thought, well, why don't I take that knowledge and put it into practice? Enough of me trying to tell other people how to do this stuff. Time for me to do the stuff I've been telling people about for years. So I took on this challenge at Kuno. It's been a great adventure. I have learned so much about video. I came in, so in case you don't know, Kumu is an enterprise video as a service platform. We provide video and content management services to large enterprises. So they can do few to many, uh, either on demand or live, um, and store that content, reuse it, uh, secure it, publish it, all those sorts of great things. Now I came in from a infrastructure and operations background. DevOps knowledge, cloud knowledge, um, infrastructure and operations knowledge, but not video. So it's been 
awesome for me to learn. I love continuous learning. So I've learned a lot about video, still a bit of a babe in the woods, but I'm supported by some amazing people who have been in this business. We, we had a meeting just recently. Um, there were 12 people and we had over 100 years of video experience wow. in the room. And that was just crazy cool for me because my contribution was like 20 months. Um, but I come to it with it's a, good three months. A, a lot it's of a knowledge of SaaS, of transformation. It's a good three months. It was a great three months. Um, but look, I, I feel a little bit like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, right? Someone's plugged me in and it's like, ooh, I know Codex. Um, so I'm getting there. But what I'm bringing to Kumu is all, a lot of that cloud transformation. This is a business in transformation. Uh, moving from on-premises software to cloud software, from app, from waterfall to agile to DevOps. Um, you know, these are significant business and technology transformations. So I'm bringing a lot of knowledge while I'm also being challenged, which is just an excellent situation. Oh, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. I mean, you're one of the few people that over my career I would run into constantly, right? And we've never lived in the same city, but like conference shows and, you know, and one day you're there as CA, one day you're there as Splunk. And, and so I've, you know, we've, uh, we've caught up so much over the years. So let's, so I, why I'm, why I really wanted to kind of highlight your backgrounds, because I'm really interested in the context of some of these questions that I have, because we in the, in, you know, I'm, you know, I run a, a, a consulting organization and uh, I work with a lot of vendors and partners, and obviously I work with a lot of customers and, um, but there's perceptions, right? There's perceptions on how we view different things. So let's talk first about digital transformation, right? There's this, there's a lot of talk around digital transformation. Uh, I think it's become somewhat of a marketing term and you can pretty much go onto any IT organization's website, especially people are selling stuff to enterprises and we do digital transformation and we're your partners for digital transformation. Now that you're in the enterprise, right? And you're sitting in with executives every single day that are, that are not IT people. What is, the, what is digital transformation in your, in your perception look like today? Yeah, that's a great question. It is all things to all people these days, isn't it? It's very much a marketing line. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shoe polish and a dessert topping, right? Um, I, I actually look at it in two different ways. So Kumu, we're going through digital transformation. So let me give you an example. I've just recently worked on a project, led a team to shut down the last of our on-premises development labs. So we had a lab, it was in an office in Burlingame. We had hardware, so testing hardware for doing, uh, testing on encoding, decoding, you know, these boxes that do, that do uh, video encoding. Um, we had a bunch of virtual machines in a rack there to do development work and testing and all the, all the pipeline stuff as well. So we have automation tools on-prem. Um, we made a decision as a business that we don't do on-prem anymore. We don't, we're not an on-premises company ourselves. We're all in the, on the cloud. So what that means for us, this is digital transformation writ large for us internally. We don't have offices anymore. Well, we have one. We have our, our headquarters still in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but we don't have offices anywhere in the world. We used to have India and UK and California and a couple of other places. We don't. So what do we do instead? We use uh, online tools for messaging. We have constantly having conversations through digital technologies rather than you know, in person or you know, uh, even on the phone to a large degree. 
We use our own uh, product, by the way. We drink our own champagne. We record videos for each other. So rather than waiting till someone's available, or this is especially important across different time zones, um, we'll send short asynchronous videos. And that, you know, I'll, I'll send that out to my team, for example, saying what I expect from them this week or uh, what I did for the business last week so that we're connected, we're aligned. We use a lot of sharing tools. So we share content and conversations and plans and ideas digitally instead of being in person. Um, and so we're using, uh, we're using Office 365. We're also using OneDrive. Uh, we use Slack. Um, we use a bunch of online tools for planning and operation management. So we use cloud-based services for our development planning, for our user story and epic management, uh, for all of our development and code management, for diagnostics, troubleshooting, monitoring. We are fully engaged with cloud services for all of that because we are fundamentally in the cloud now. So for us internally, it's meant a lot of these functional things moving away from paper, moving away from in-person, and moving it all to equivalent methodologies and, and capabilities online using technologies. Now, I would also say for my customers, what I see in the marketplace is that this is a unique journey for everyone. So for a lot of our businesses, a lot of the customers I work with, we're part of their digital transformation journey, but just a part of it. They're moving towards more online engagement, online engagement with their customers, online engagement with their employees as well. So digital transformation is both an externally facing and internally facing effort. Um, so using that video service to communicate and align, you know, the, the executive town hall, instead of getting 300 people to gather in a, in, a, in a lunchroom or a cafeteria or whatever large room you have in your business, now we're doing it to 10,000 people live on video and another 20,000 on demand. Um, or all the way from there to that small asynchronous video, one manager with their team, for example. Um, you know, the architect might have some new ideas for software, how to run, build, whatever. So she'll send that out as a, as a video, just a quick video explaining it with some slides and a download. So when you have the meeting, it's purposeful, intentional. There's no catch up involved. You're using these digital technologies to accelerate, not just replace the physical in-person stuff, but to accelerate how you do the work. And for every business that I talk to, it's different journey. For a lot of the businesses I talk to, obviously, it's about video. But for a lot of other businesses, about that cloud transformation, getting into the cloud, getting rid of data center equipment and being more agile and flexible that way, it can be just shutting down offices. That's what we Yeah, so it seems it's a um, digital transformation. So a lot of things. Digital transformation is all about context, right? And um, everybody's context is different, right? So in the case of you guys, you know, we did something very similar uh, so I did have a quick follow-on question, then we can move on. But we did something similar probably about five years ago where, you know, I just started looking at, hey, how we do business internally at Winward and um, how we store files and how we do employees and how we do recruiting and how we pay bills and things like that. And I slowly started getting our company to start moving digitally, right? And scanning and i kept telling them i'm like i don't want to see any more paper but that was just an idea that i had about five years ago because i just thought it was the right way to go luckily when the pandemic hit 
you know, we went off site and we were already done our transformation. So we had no issues. Um, it was really yeah. seamless. And, it, you know, and most of my operations staff in you know, back office, you know, were very thankful that we had done that, even though they were very, you know, they weren't the, you know, change is hard, right? And it's even harder in back office systems because they're so used to doing things a certain way. Uh, so was the pandemic for you guys moving, shutting down offices, was that an accelerator or was that happening anyways or both? Yeah, look, actually the pandemic was an accelerator for us in a lot of ways. We were already going through this motion. Um, we've decided to be a work from wherever, whenever company for a lot of reasons. Um, part of it is removing expense from our budget plan, from our, 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 our balance sheet. Part of it is flexibility in hiring and attracting the right talent. Um, part of it is just flexibility on how to deliver our services. And so, yeah, you know, we're, we're on the cloud for our service. Our cloud, our, our, the Kumu cloud product, our service, is run on, on a cloud platform as well. So for us, most of our staff were already working from remote, from WeWorks, from uh, home offices. Um, our head of operations, essentially, our head of cloud ops is based in Romania right now. Um, uh, that person was actually in Britain uh, when the pandemic started. And because we're a work from wherever company as well as whenever, then relocating that person to Romania was, I won't say it was effortless, um, but it was something we could do because we weren't tied to physical premises. Like I said, the one place that was still tied to a physical environment was our dev labs in California. Um, interestingly enough, that was tied to physical equipment because that was the lab that primarily took care of our on-premises products. So we had physical equipment we needed to build and ship, uh, as well as, as I mentioned, that hardware-specific video stuff, video encoders and stuff like that. Um, so for us, we were a long way along the way to digital transformation. We still had to come up with a lot of different processes. You say change is hard, and I absolutely agree. And the hardest thing about the change is the people, yeah. not the technology. I've always said that, you know that. Um, and so getting the process change, how do we collaborate? How do we innovate? How do we get together to do problem solving? when we're not in a physical office anymore. So we had to change some stuff around the margins there, but mostly we were pretty well set up for remote work and work from home at the right time, yeah. just coincidentally. Yeah. And it's gotten more so, right, you know, with with the um, shortages in staff and demands of, of employees to work from home. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I live in Florida now, right? So I live in Orlando and it's just so much development down here. I mean, everybody you meet, like 45% of the people you meet are in the real estate or development business. And I'm very interested over the coming years to see how corporate real estate pans out because I think we had a massive shift and I don't know what it's going to look like in three years. But let's shift gears a little bit. Um, so we talked about digital transformation. Another thing, you know, you and I have had so many conversations over years about IT operations, right? And there's a lot of perceptions about IT operations being kind of a sunk cost, cost to business. Uh, I know you have, I have, I've been advocating, and we together have been advocating for years for businesses to relook at uh, operations not as a sunk cost, but more as a, a business driver. And I think that, you know, in line with digital transformation and the delivery of new services, you've got to have a really solid 
operational strategy to make sure that those digital services work, right, and are, are operational and, and running, you know, 100 percent of the time. So, you know, how do how do your organization now look at IT operations? Now you're on the inside. You're meeting with executives who don't know a lot about necessarily about technology and operations and things like that. Um, how do they view IT operations and your operations or organization? And uh, where where do they you know how do they make decisions about you know funding and budget and things like that? Yeah, look, Sean, I'm I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a really excellent peer group in my ELT uh, who. Uh, several of them do understand technology to a certain degree. They understand the difference between DevOps to start with, so that's a good start. Um, but it's also it's a really critical business function for us that we're in this transformation to cloud. Right? We did have on-premises products, we still do, but most of our development and our effort is going towards cloud first. Not cloud only, but cloud first. What that means to our business is that our cloud ops team are the face of our business now. So historically, to a large degree, our dev team and our QA team would be the front of our business, right? We'd develop software, we'd ship it, they, our customers would install it, and the install process, the quality of the code that we delivered to them, how well it runs on their boxes, that was the face of our business to them. That's not true anymore. The face of our business is ops. So our cloud ops team, um, absolutely critical to our success. And I think that's one thing that's changed over the years within Kumu specifically, but in the, the marketplace generally, this idea that, that operations is the face of your business now, and you better not mess that up. Um, you know, we run on Google Cloud, our, our service, but none of our customers care about that. We use Cloudflare as our distribution network, but none of our customers yeah. care about that. When they've got a problem, you know who they talk to? They talk to us. Well, well you bring up so a really good point, right? Uh, because as, as companies are moving more towards cloud, as, as vendors are becoming more cloud-enabled uh, and, and shifting to cloud services, and you know, in my software companies that I've started, you know, I, you know back in you know, mid-2000s when I started RealOps, we were all on-prem. So operations wasn't really part of our, our DNA. It was, let's build the best product we possibly can. We're going to install it on servers in that environment, and we got to make sure it doesn't have a lot of bugs. But now when you're bringing things into the cloud as a vendor like you guys, um, you now got to worry about network, infrastructure, latency, packet loss, um, uh, you know, you know, synthetic transactions and, like you said, you know, content servers and things like that. All that stuff now is on. So you, we're taking that away from the from the company, and now we're doing it. Now we have to have a huge operational component. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah, and, and that's absolutely true. And, it, what, and part of what that means, you know, I've been talking about DevOps for a long time, you know, collaboration between Dev and Ops, um, but that makes it so much more critical. Because when we have a problem, everyone has problems, right? It's all about how quickly you address them and how well you solve them. When we have problems, our cloud team needs to work hand in glove with our dev team to get a fix in quickly. It also means, by the way, that our dev team has to understand the customer-facing part of our business. And they do. This has been such an amazing transformation within our engineering group to do things like building observability into our product so that our ops team 
can get the information they need to do diagnostics and troubleshooting and repairing to just drill down into a, a root cause or a proximate cause of a problem uh, without necessarily having to get dev teams out to do troubleshooting. So it starts all the way up at planning, let alone you know, development, test and delivery. It, this idea that cloud ops or our, our ops team is such a core part of our business now, it's not just the ops team that ha has had to yeah. transform because of that. That has applied to the entire engineering and the entire product, customer service group, uh, the product group. The whole business now understands how important that transformation is. To yeah, everybody. and the interesting thing too is that, you know, in your business as as in my software businesses, the realization that you can do a feature change or some kind of change to your service in the cloud and it gets proliferated through a multi-tenant environment to every single customer immediately um, changes all the dynamics of being a software vendor, right? Because before we'd be like, yeah, we're gonna do a patch and we'll, we'll send it through all kinds of testing and we'll do a patch, you know, patches are pretty quick, but we'll do a version, you know, once a quarter and major version once a year. Now it's like, no, you're making changes very, very quickly and you've got to have the processes and procedure. So this brings us to a conversation that we had before today, uh, when I think is a nice lead in to pipeline and pipeline automation. And it's one of the things that you talk about, you say is top of mind and one of the most important things you're working on. So let's talk about pop pipeline automation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is, you know, the ability to get things through the pipeline faster, but, but just as accurately with just as higher quality is super critical to us as a business. Um, let me give you some examples, right? Uh, you, you talk about patching, right? The log for J, uh, spring for shell vulnerabilities, right? We can't wait for six months to drop a release to fix that, right? But we're a cloud service. We have to do it in real time. My team was stunning in their response to that. They took it on themselves. My my head of engineering was actually in a plane uh, getting these fractured messages over, over airline Wi-Fi about the problem and how critical it was. And the nice thing was that my dev team didn't need to think too hard. They just thought, you know, our customers need it, we'll get it done. Um, so this is part of that transformational approach um, to get that change happening faster. And part of being able to do that is having that pipeline automation. As I put something into, you know, I put a change in, then we go automatically now to quality assurance and QA testing. So we have automated software testing happening. I won't say we're perfect. We're still on our journey, by the way. But we have the ability to check code and have it automatically checked against a myriad of criteria, previous testing, uh, baseline reference tests, as well as vulnerability assessments and come out the other end with a score that says, do we need to review it with a human or not? Every time you can take a human out of that kind of process, you get more imagination, innovation, and capability out of your people, but you still get that software delivery cycle faster. Now, the pipeline doesn't stop with QA and testing, of course. We want to get it out into production. So being able to build out idempotent environments, being able to build out repeatable configurations, and have developers be able to test against that configuration and then just sort of lift it and drop it into a cloud native environment. So there's all sorts of architectural issues, 
process issues. We're working with different tooling on this as well. Um, but I, I really think the, the pipeline automation is, for us at least at Kumu, is one of the keys to getting faster, more customer-centric development out to the marketplace and responding at, at the speed of cloud, if I can use a, a pretty horrible uh, cliche, uh, but responding that quickly to our customers' demands because things like the security vulnerabilities are a pretty easy candidate to say, yes, got to do that now. But thinking about new customer requirements, new partner requirements, um, things that we come up with, our own innovations, we want to get them to market faster and get that competitive edge. If we can get more cycles into a shorter timeline, we get to release more software and beat competitors. So there's all sorts of upsides to getting that straight through process. So what's so what's the key to to doing that? I, I mean, you 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 talked about uh, core competencies and expertise. So what what's the key? You think one of the keys to really understanding uh, automating pipeline? I mean, you got to understand the process, right? And then you got to figure out you know the integration points along the way, and then you got to figure out you know, how to actually orchestrate that and, and measure it and things like that. So what do you think some of the keys are around organization and talent to to make that happen? Yeah, look, I, w I will say, Sean, one thing that is absolutely critical is executive support, right? It comes from here. Um, my team would love to do more. They need more support from me to be able to do that. So I need to give them runway to focus on non-functional requirements. Right? So any technical leader, engineering leader especially, this doesn't happen coming from customer requests, right? Your customer success team, even your product management team are not necessarily going to give you the space to be able to focus on what is functionally technical debt for delivery of software. Um, the fact that you have to do all the manual work, you have to do it all the time and repeatedly is essentially a form of technical debt. And as we all know, technical debt rarely gets accounted for in roadmaps. So one of the things that I've tried to do with my team is actually make space and time for people to take on project work that is related to pipeline automation. Um, in terms of skills and people, it's very much about, well, having the right skills and people. We've gone... We've gotten, we have some really excellent people who know this stuff dead cold, and we have a lot of people who don't. So it's about knowledge sharing. We're hosting knowledge sharing sessions every week where, and again, we leverage our own product. We do it on video for people in different time zones um, so that we can share the knowledge and not just about our product functionality or our customer requirements, personas, use cases, but about some of this functional stuff in development and operations to get code through the pipeline, to make the pipeline better, to build better configurations and share those configurations amongst the different squads and teams we've got. Um, so it's, it's a myriad of that. It doesn't just start with knowledge per se. I think it starts with executives and managers making it a priority, um, getting the right tools in place and the right processes in place and then sharing the knowledge appropriate so that this doesn't become another silo within your DevOps process, right? You can't have development and operations and then pipeline automation people. Every you know, Pipeline automation is everyone's responsibility. So I think it's also a case of making sure you're sharing that knowledge, giving the training where people are doing 
a, a raft of Google training at the moment so they understand cloud delivery, doing training on our individual pipeline automation tooling, um, a lot of knowledge, but also a lot of process and support from the people with, frankly, the budget, the time, and the authority to make it happen. So are, do you, what, what cloud environment are you guys primarily running in? Are you guys running in Google Cloud? Is that, is that your? Yeah. Yeah, we're all in GCP. We use little bits and pieces from uh, Microsoft and Amazon, uh, but we're, we're, our core product, Kumu Cloud, is deeply embedded. We use a lot of the Google functions as well. Coming back to that idea of core competencies, um, while we focus on our core competencies, we're using some stuff from Google to, to deliver the product better where we're not experts. Um, uh, things like you know, uh, content mm -hmm. caching and storage, object storage, backup, and these sorts of things. We're using the capabilities in Google Cloud, but we have a little bit from Microsoft, a little bit from Amazon as well. well so why did you pick Google Cloud? I mean, is, as a video platforming, um, do you integrate very closely with Google Workspace so it made sense for you to use Google Cloud or was it that just independent? Because I would assume that a lot of your customers are also, you know, Office 365, right? Um, was there, what, I'm just curious, like yeah. the, the, the rationale for using Google Cloud. Yeah, I, I must admit, I wasn't around for mm -hmm. the decision, but amongst the reasons, um, Google gives us a lot of functionality in terms of its service library and its service catalog for us to utilize things like you know, image recognition and speech recognition and translation and captioning and things like that for the for the sort of a Chevy of our service. We also partner with external vendors that do sort of Cadillac versions of things like captioning and translation. Um, but we, we're able to use a lot of the Google uh, services uh, in terms of analytics and insights and troubleshooting and so on. We actually just have a really good relationship with Google and our Google account team has always been really good with us. Um, I know from past experience, some other cloud providers have not provided that level of, a, of, of engagement with, especially a smaller enterprise. You know, Kumu is not a huge company. And so having that level of service has been really important to us. Um, also, their distribution network uh, has been very positive. We don't integrate yet with a lot of their workspace type functions, but that's actually something we're talking to them right now about as more and more people discover you know, things like you know, the Google Shared Spaces and Google Drive and so forth and so on, um, it becomes more apparent that we could do more for our customers by integrating tighter there. But it was fundamentally a cloud decision, partially on cost, partially on functionality, partially on relationships and support. Um, but we, we, yeah, we have a really good relationship with Google for That's a lot awesome. of That's awesome. All right, so we're, we're, uh, we're going to wind this up. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, first question is, so you've been in this role for three months. You've been there now more than three months, right? I mean, how long have you been there? Oh, no, I've been there oh, yeah, for yeah, a year. Okay. Yeah. I remember you, you and I talking before you went there, and it's, I can't believe it's been a year. Um, so uh, so what keeps you up at night, like when it comes to, to success at this, you know, at your, your enterprise? What, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, I, I'll tell you what keeps me up, uh, up at night most is ability to innovate. Um, we get tied up a lot and wrapped around our own axle a lot internally. And we, we, as a company, one of our core differentiators and something we're really good at is responding well to our customer requirements. So building out things that our customers desperately need us to do. And some of the innovations we've done there recently include things like uh, uh, backup encoder streams. We have the ability when you're doing a live broadcast, the CEO of a 
multi-million dollar company with 10,000 employees doing a live broadcast cannot afford that to fail. And so our customer came and said, we can't afford this to fail. What can you do? Uh, can we have backup for everything? So we're like, we can build that. So we built that. But where does our innovation come from? Our own ideas, right? We had another idea recently. We actually had our first patent application in seven years for a functionality called just-in-time encoding, uh, just-in-time transcoding. This is something that we thought of. And our customers didn't ask for it. When we showed it to them, they're like, oh, Andy, how soon can I get that? So where do we – yeah, this is one thing that keeps me up at night, is how do I make time and space for my team to focus on new thinking and developing prototypes and MVPs that will eventually go into the product. And we know that you've got to be able to fail a lot doing that. And yet I'm in a business which is in transformation and which needs to provide the best possible level, level of white glove service to our customers. So for me, that's part of what I would, and it literally gets me awake more than my team. How do I find the balance between delivering the, the well, it's the Henry Ford line, right? Um, if, I'd wanted a, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a mm -hmm. faster horse. How do I deliver the faster horse for my customers while still building the car that my engineering team and me have in our minds? That's a pretty big part of my sleeplessness. Yeah, I, I, well, you hit on something that um, you and I, I mean, we could have a whole hour-long conversation, multiple-hour conversation about this. I. You know, I'm a, I'm a productivity junkie, and I'm probably that into productivity because I'm that bad at it, right? And I'm constantly trying to improve, and I'm reading things. And what's interesting is that uh, I'm going to make a plug for a book called it's called Stolen Focus that I just read, um, and it's really all about our attention span and our inability to focus. And I think you bring up something really, really critical, not just in the work life, but in our personal lives of how do we find space, right, to be creative and be innovative, and how is that impacting uh, companies, and how is it impacting us personally? Like, how do we, you know, when we're just we're overwhelmed at work with you know with projects and deadlines, and we don't have space to really sit back and innovate, like you said, and think, okay, what should we be doing, not what do we have to do. And in our own personal lives, you know, not making enough space for creativity and enjoyment of of life, right? And we're we're barraged with all kinds of external things like distractions and social media and stuff like that. I, I, I'm I'm obsessed with this topic that um, we are not talking about on this podcast because I would literally waste ungodly amounts of time talking about it. But I I, I hear you on that, and I I think that. I, I love that answer. All right. So last thing, um, in, in kind of that theme, um, and we're going to end a little bit of fun question. What is the, what is the most fun thing you've done in say the last 30 days, personal work, just the most fun thing. I'm all about finding fun now. Oh, in my that, life. Look, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Cause I literally just got back from a two week vacation in the Alps. In, that in, sounds in amazing. And the most fun thing I did, which is going it, to, it's going to, a lot of people will just have no idea how this can possibly be fun. The most fun thing I did was ride up a 30 kilometer high, a uh, 30 kilometer long climb on a mountain in, on my bicycle. 
Uh, it took me five hours. It was brutal. Uh, by the time I got to the top, I was almost dead. It almost killed me, Sean. But I then got to ride downhill for 30 kilometers, and it was one of the most glorious things I've done in, in, in a long, long time. Um, certainly for, for, for my personal life, that was really energizing. I will say, last Friday, I got to be at the retirement party of one of Kumu's lo most long-lasted employees. This person was there as, I think, employee number three, uh, worked at Kumu for 19 years, has been in the office of the CTO last week, uh, left the business, uh, retired out of our business after such a long contribution. And in many, many ways, I was super sad to see that happen. But I was also really, really excited that, A, he gets to go and enjoy a new phase of his life. But, B, he contributed for almost 20 years to the same business, to making this business the great business that it is. And that just made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. So there's a couple of that's different awesome. uh, uh, options to well, choose from there. You know, I will tell you that the Swiss Alps are some of the most amazing scenes it almost looks fake right and you're so i i can understand it. i'm not really sure about riding up but uh, i would happily strap a bike on and ride back down so uh awesome andy it's always a pleasure we'll have you on again um and uh i i always enjoy talking to you it's fun and uh thank you very much for coming on Absolutely, Sean. It's always a pleasure to have a chat with you, mate. Um, yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime. Thank you so much All right, for having me. Take care, me. Andy.